Welcome, everyone, to the Innovating Church podcast. I am Pastor Casey, and I am here with our second field report, talking to Pastor Kelly, a friend of mine who's in ministry near me, about her uh, response to the COVID-19 epidemic and how she and her churches are uh, getting through and um, innovating faith during this time. Pastor Kelly, would you pray for us, please? Of course. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to connect even in a virtual and digital way. Lord, we thank you that you've been coming to us in our own homes and in our own hearts outside of buildings for as long as we have been created. So Lord, we ask you to bless this time to come and join us, fill us with your Holy Spirit and connect with us in a way that makes sense for this time and in this place. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor Kelly, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and uh, your context, where you serve, uh, whatever the important details are. (laughs) Sure. So um, I am a pastor in Wisconsin. I serve two churches and a youth ministry. So I have three separate buildings and ministries that I serve as a part of my call. Those are all located in the same school district, about halfway between Milwaukee and Sheboygan on the east coast of Wisconsin. So I'm a first call pastor. That means this is the first time I've been a pastor, but I've been doing church work my entire adult life. So it's about 20 years. I used to be a teacher and a youth leader. And so um, all of church work is new for me in this role. And I'm also used to really big churches. And you can guess from the fact that I serve two churches in the youth ministry that they're all pretty small. So a lot of what I've been asked to do for the last three years was new to me. And I felt like I was constantly making it up day by day. Then this pandemic hit about two and a half years in when I finally thought I had like a pattern and uh, the pandemic changed that. So now I'm reimagining church all over again. So that is, uh, I certainly can um, echo your sentiments on ministry of every day feeling like I'm figuring it all out. Um, So when this pandemic hit, uh, was that a very difficult transition for you or has uh, it flowed fairly smoothly? So um, everything about this pandemic is difficult. And so I don't want to minimize any of the difficulties. One of the blessings that my husband and I had in um, addressing this pandemic when it hit is that because we have lived a very virtual life for quite a number of years. Um, We were more prepared than a lot of other folks from moving everything digital because I had actually been asking both of my churches since I arrived to please move to a 21st century model of church, which includes digital access to everything. So I, both of my congregations had already been on the path towards or already including online giving, live streaming, emails to everyone. Um, I had already been using Zoom meetings with my synod for over two years, and we had been using um, 
remote access to communicate with youth for quite a while. And we had safety policies in place as to how and when our youth leaders could or should use virtual communication with youth. So because we had some of those building blocks in place and some of those skills on, on our side already, we were able to transition fairly smoothly, which means kind of like Michigan Road smoothly. So like it was still pretty rocky. Um, one of the things that happened was this pandemic actually hit Wisconsin while my husband and I were in vac on vacation in Arizona and California. So the reality is we stopped vacationing, even though we were physically in a different part of the country, because it had already hit California. When we got there on Monday morning, March 9th, my husband and I immediately started working from home, even though we were working from a train in the desert. We were blowing through data and we both started doing our jobs and prepping our church for March 15th because we had five days notice no one else in Wisconsin had. Okay. So like we were showing up in a state that was already closing Disney World. And so I'm on vacation calling people in Wisconsin going, we have to change worship for the 15th. And they kept saying, oh, no, it's fine. Oh, no, it's fine. I said, that's great. Let's come up with a backup plan. And then while we were on the plane home on Friday, Wisconsin went into panic. I got off the plane and I had both secretaries call me and say, you are absolutely right. We're now sending out the email you made us draft on Wednesday. So I had five days notice that nobody else had. <laughs> so the most important question, how did you land some vacation time during Lent? <laughs> so um, my husband, normally this is his busiest time of the year. So four of the five weekends in Lent and Holy Week, he was going to be out of town. So what we do instead is I take a week off to spend with him on a business trip. And it's my third year doing it. And my congregation is now used to that. And they know that that Sunday and Wednesday and Lent, they cover on their own. We always plan it. And so that was normally happening. So uh, you talked about your advance notice. I uh, was like just about everybody else in Wisconsin, uh, where we were planning on holding worship on the 15th. Uh, I think that we ended up uh, suspending in-person worship. It was that weekend, but it was right at the very, right at the wire. Um, how did your congregation respond to that? Super great. So three years ago when I showed up in Wisconsin, I instituted the Lenten practice of during Lent, we don't share the peace. And that is because Lent normally corresponds with the highest flu rates in the state of Wisconsin. So during Lent, you are encouraged to not shake people's hands. We started that three years ago and everyone told me I was crazy. I put hand sanitizer on the altar three years ago and people didn't like it. And I said, I will not kill any of you with the flu because based on their age, flu would have gotten them in a year. So this year, March 1st, I said, no more peace. We're done. Absolutely done. So before that, people had the option and about a third of our congregation every week was either choosing to not do the peace at all. So staying in their seat and waving, which is the sign of I am too sick or too vulnerable to be shaking peace, or we were fist bumping or elbow knocking. About a third of my people choose to do that on a standard week because I instituted that three years ago. So even though I was gone on March 8th and we had supply pastors in both churches, on March 8th, we went to no sharing of the peace whatsoever. 
no passing of the offering plates, no pastor shaking hands after worship, and only individual cups. We did that on March 8th. And even though I was gone, because I did not want any supply preacher to be feeling responsible for the illness of any person. So we went over and above because I was gone. And then on the 9th, I contacted those preachers and said, how'd the congregation do? And they said, they got more comments of thank you for taking this seriously than anything else. So then we started prepping for the 15th of um, streaming only worship of saying, and so we drafted all of that, planned that worship. We sent the email out on Friday at 5 p.m., but we as a worship team had spent five days then prepping for that for the 15th. So then on the 15th, when I came in person and we completely modified worship, we only had 12 people in each building at that time. Okay, so that uh, this has been a process that uh, you've been working on not just a couple days early, but practices you've put into place years ago have right. helped your congregation. Uh, yeah, because the, rea- right, the reality is most folks under 40 find our common church practices disgusting because <laughs> they will bring, I see every mom in our congregation after the passing the piece, pull the sanitizer out of her purse and pass it down the aisle. So frankly, if we want to make church more appealing to people under 40, the kinds of basic issues like hand sanitizer at coffee hour, because of the pastor, like if you just shook the pastor's hand and everyone else's hand after church, you shouldn't go to eat. You need to have hand sanitizer there. Youth ministry has been doing that for a decade. So to me, this is normal, right? You would never do youth ministry without hand sanitizer present at every single event. So I just brought it into the adults. All right. Well, that, uh, when put that way, it all makes absolute <laughs> sense. I, right. I think those of us who work with all the people that touch my hands after the service and right. Right. So for example, my dad, um, is a supply preacher and he started getting the flu two years ago. And my mom finally asked me, how do you not get the flu? And I said, I go to the bathroom and wash my hands after church before coffee hour. So my dad started washing his hands when he took off his robes. And he stopped getting the flu. <laughs> so the reality is those kinds of basic practices work every year. They're especially important this year because there's no vaccine, but they're always important. And so I'm really hopeful that a lot of the things we're learning in this season will help us going forward. So since the 15th, what has uh, your average service looked like? Yeah, for sure. So um, we had to redo everything, which is okay. (laughs) That's all right. Um, But we did different things at my two different churches. So one of the churches um, partnered with the Methodist church a half mile away because that pastor was told by her bishop to shut the doors and not come back. And the reality is she didn't have an email address to check at home. (laughs) She didn't have any way to connect with her parishioners. She was scared. And I have, we had already been friends. We'd been working with the youth ministry for three years. I have all the technology in my building, but rewriting worship services is my least favorite thing to do. And I had already created Lent services and had no energy to recreate them. She and I partnered. She rewrote the 22nd and the 29th to be better for live streaming. I got all the technology ready. I preached one Sunday, she preached the next. So we totally partnered. We started sending the link out to her congregation. Both services were pretty good. Fantastic. I, uh, <laughs> I love stories of churches working together uh, yes. during this time. 
Yeah. So the other congregation that I serve, um, they had online giving set up, but they did not have live streaming. They've wanted it for two years, but financially couldn't quite justify the cost of it. So remember how I told you that my husband and I had five days warning back when we were in California on vacation, I did an email vote with my council to get approval for him, for my husband to order live streaming equipment and have it delivered. So we ordered that on the 11th of March before most of the country realized they were going to have to live stream. So we got it for cheap and fast delivery. It was installed. It was approved by my council within 24 hours because they already had the ability to do online voting via email as part of their constitution, which we had changed last year. So council approved within 24 hours. We were able to purchase on our smartphones with our credit cards, have it delivered, and have it installed by the 22nd. So that congregation did its very first live streaming service on the 22nd. And it was literally installed on the 21st. But we realized that by Monday the 16th, purchasing that equipment and finding someone to install it was damn near impossible. So because my husband and I knew this was, we had already planned on this for three years. I just needed the council to approve the money now instead of doing it in August. So we took a plan that was gonna happen sometime in 2020, moved it up to March 21st. And um, we had two lay people, my husband and another individual, install that and run it. And so they ran that. So those two congregations did that. The third thing that happened is an ecumenical group in the area. So the Methodist church, the two Lutheran churches, a spirituality center and a Catholic church all partnered together for Holy Week. So collectively we created Holy Week experiences, pre-recorded them the week before Holy Week, burned them to CD, to DVDs, pre-printed the bulletins and mailed DVDs and bulletins to 25 individuals who don't have the opportunity for live streaming. So we did that the week before Holy Week so they would receive it by Tuesday of Holy Week. And then we recorded in one location and sent it out to five different communities so that we weren't all duplicating each other's work over Holy Week. That really is fantastic. Uh, does that group usually work together during Holy Week? No, last year we worked together um, at a summer outdoor ecumenical experience and we've been trying to work together more. Um, but the reality is coming together for worship services is very difficult because people don't wanna go to other churches. We've done Thanksgiving service together for four years now because Thanksgiving doesn't include communion. So it's seen more as a community service than, than a holy service. So coming together for holy, holy Week was a huge reach. That's way beyond what this community would have done unless we had a pandemic because um, a part of it is sheer numbers right holy week even though each of our churches has lower attendance if we put them all together it wouldn't fit in one location so uh we really couldn't have done it but um the catholic church in town which normally has a thousand people attending on the weekend hasn't gotten live streaming up because they didn't have anyone to do it they didn't have any way to order it right so my tiny church which normally has somewhere between 25 and 45 on a weekend, was able to live stream faster than the Catholic Church. So then we were able to partner. All of a sudden, the size of your building and the number of people in pews no longer counts. And I've been saying for a long time, the number of people in pews and the, number of, the amount of money in the offering plate is not how we count church. And this pandemic sort of brought that theory to the front to actually test it as an experiment. <laughs> 
Thank you for that uh, response. Could you go into a little bit of detail on if you feel like uh, doing church the way that we have now for the last uh, several weeks, if you've reached less people, the same amount or more people than you would uh, maybe on an average Sunday, not during a pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, of course, the answer is yes to all of them, right? Which doesn't make any sense. So um, in some ways, we're reaching more people. So for example, our Easter drive-in service, we reached people who normally would have attended a different church that just didn't have the capacity to do that kind of service. They were happy to join us. And I have no intentions of asking them to transfer their membership, right? It was just a service we were offering, but I'm glad they could participate. Um, with live streaming, I think we're reaching folks that are somehow connected to our church, but are geographically too far away to be regularly attending people. Um, so for example, family members of a lot of our parishioners, kids who went off to college, parents who moved to Florida, are tuning in for live streaming. And again, those are folks who may occasionally make a small financial contribution to the church, but we would never consider them active members. But they are participating at this time, and it's, it, I'm happy to do that, right? I think one of the great things that um, electronic, that, that, this, that this pandemic has created is two things. One is that we're, we're getting different folks that are shut-ins. Many of my folks that I would have traditionally called a shut-in and that they couldn't leave home very much were actually prepared for this pandemic. They were already set up to watch us on live stream every week. They know how to call if they need help. They know how to set up for online giving. Basically, they've been shut in for months or years, and now the rest of us joined them. Uh, so one of our older members, I called him day two. I said, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm fine. He said, I have been live streaming for two years. If anyone wants to know how to do it, they can come and ask. He's like 92, and he hasn't left his house in months. He can't drive. But he was willing to give people a tutorial through his back porch about how to use it on their iPad, right? Because he knows. But now I've got some folks who otherwise could drive, which before meant driving meant I wasn't a shut-in, but they don't have a computer. So they went from being incredibly active seniors to incredibly homebound seniors because their car doesn't help them. So overnight, the senior community really struggled. And that now having the car and the ability to drive no longer connects you to your neighbors, but having the internet does. And many of our older folks were not ready for that transition. So I think it's changed up who's on my shut-in list. <laughs> and that's been a change for me, right? Um, I think the other thing is that a lot of our traditional folks who come to church every week are loving the opportunity to join electronically because it's a way to connect with people they already like and know. Folks with kids under 12 are really struggling with live stream church because it's not interactive for kids. They don't stand up and sit down. They don't walk up for a kid's message. They don't walk up for communion. There's nothing participatory for those kids. So I'm actually going to start creating an online kid service every week that's 15 minutes or less and specifically involves shorter singing and singing with action. So it looks more like a vacation Bible school style, 15 minutes of church for that reason. Good. Those are all important thoughts. I echo your sentiments about the... Uh, the shut-in list and who changes. And I know that uh, my grandmother is one of those people who has 
the ability to drive still and is always involved in anything the church or the community is doing, but has absolutely no ability to uh, work the internet uh, in any meaningful capacity. So um, I know that I'm struggling with her to keep her connected to her church and, um, you know, other, even just discussions or talking with other people since she can't play her euchre or her cribbage uh, games anymore. Right. Yeah, Um, for sure. And so one of the interesting flips at at one of my churches is that as much as we've leaned into technology, we've also leaned into old-fashioned postal mail. In that, you know, a few months ago, the cost of mailing a postcard or a letter to someone was so prohibitive, we just sent emails. Right now, the ability to send somebody something tangible from the church is so socially important to them that it's now worth that cost. So we really leaned in both directions, right? So that's been really interesting. Good. Can you tell me a little bit about what you did for Easter Sunday? Yeah. So Easter Sunday at one of my churches, we decided to do a drive-in service. So some folks might have seen on the news, um, places in the South or the Southern Midwest where there's lots of drive-in theaters still in operation or where the weather is a little bit more reliable for multiple months of the year. Um, Sometimes we'll have outdoor drive-in church. I had this crazy idea, no idea how it would work in Wisconsin. (laughs) And thankfully, our two technicians and our deacon here at the church And our administrator went full gangbusters with the hundreds of details to make that happen. So part of what we did is um, we kept that service at the same time and we live streamed at the same time that we did that. So you didn't feel that you had to drive in if that wasn't safe for you. Um, We created a platform for me and the deacon to stand on. We had music and singers um, on microphones. And then we had a transmitter for um, the radio station. So when folks drove up in their cars, they got individual prepackaged communion cups, a bulletin and a kid's bulletin handed to them by an usher with a mask and gloves. They parked in the church, turned their radio to the station printed on the bulletin, and then were able to follow along. Those who wanted to and felt comfortable doing it could roll their window down to wave to folks. Some people waved through their sunroof. Some chose to keep their windows up. Whole families would come and park next to each other with grandma and grandpa in the middle car and then their kids and grandkids and cars on either side with kids showing through the windows their Easter basket and their Easter dresses to grandma and really waving to each other and seeing each other in a way that was really friendly and helpful. Um, and then I went around and waved at cars. We decided to honk our horns whenever we said Alleluia. So there was lots of honking and it was crazy. We ended up with 44 cars and 33 devices live streaming us. So based on the fact that we think there was somewhere between one and a half to two people for each of those, we figure that our actual attendance that day was somewhere between 120 and 150. And our church sanctuary only holds 125. So our Easter service was about the size that we would have had had we not had a pandemic. That is absolutely fantastic. I love to uh, to hear about that. Were there any uh, hitches of people's batteries dying or anything uh, like that that went on? Yeah, so 
Uh, there were several things that were complications, is how you actually get people in. There were a lot of logistics of getting volunteers to show up and keeping our total number of volunteers under 10. Um, we thought as late as Friday night that we would be arrested by the police because the police were saying no parking lot gatherings. Um, and then we thought as late as Saturday night that we would be doing this in the middle of a blizzard. So thankfully, neither of those happened. So all the other glitches failed in comparison to that. Um, so one of the primary glitches, frankly, um, was that folks showed up and if the radio didn't tune right away, it was kind of tricky. Thankfully, our technicians thought about this and 20 minutes before the service started and 20 minutes after, they played recorded music on the radio so that you could test your, music, your radio as soon as you arrived. And that gave us enough time to work with everyone and make sure they could hear us because we planned on that taking about 15 minutes. We started about seven minutes late because of technology glitches. Um, and, uh, and so that was kind of tricky. And this is a congregation that does primarily online giving. So we were able to just kind of avoid the offering time and sort of include an option at the end. If folks wanted to drop off checks, they could go drive over here and drop off in that direction. Otherwise they could leave through this exit. So our primary challenge is where we have only one entrance and exit to our parking lot. Um, we needed a lot of people to do this and we really only wanted 10 people outside of cars. And we weren't sure the technology would work until about 48 hours out. <laughs> so it was definitely challenging, but considering I didn't get arrested and we didn't have a blizzard, we felt pretty good. Well, you know, that is, uh, those are two great marks of a quality religious service. No blizzard, not arrested. Um, and uh, I know that this uh, type of service has been a discussion amongst uh, some of our peers. And that was, again, um, complications that either happened or ended up not happening. Um, Easter Sunday, Jesus had still risen. Was that... Yes. Uh, it was really kind of our theme, right? So people actually liked it so much that on their way out, they started asking if we could do it again next year. And um, we were really at that congregation getting to the point where our Easter services are really full. We have two Christmas Eve services, but only one Easter service because it's on a Sunday. So we think that we might start doing a drive-in as a sunrise option because frankly, in Wisconsin, it's too cold to really do anything sunrise outside. So we might add that in. Um, the other thing is we might do some outdoor worship in the summer as we start to ease some of the transition. Um, so definitely, I understand why this was not the right answer for a lot of churches. There's a couple of reasons why it was the right answer for our church. One, this church building is still open because we're running a daycare in the building, and the average age of our parishioner is only about 50. So we skewed to the point where most of our folks are either still working, still going to the grocery store, or and our building could, in theory, still be open because of our daycare for folks to use the restroom and prep the service from inside. So for that reason, we felt that it was safe enough to offer this as an option, right? Like there's cars in our parking lot every day. Um, but the second reason is that we had full live streaming capability at the same time that this was happening. So we could definitely tell our people, only come to drive in if it is safe for you and your family. If that is not the safe decision for you, if that is not a risk that you're willing to take, please continue to join us via live stream. So we really didn't want to offer this as the only option to attend Easter service because it's not the right answer for everyone. And about half of the folks joined us from their home. So really, 
you know, this was not the right answer for everyone. I think that had we said, you need to come, the only Easter we're going to do is in the parking lot and you can't use the bathroom and we're not going to live stream it. That's really inconvenient and inconsiderate, right? We were offering as an extra option to folks who wanted to participate and could self-select that. So I think for that reason, it was okay in our community. That is uh, an absolutely fantastic answer. And I love the, um, the pragmatism of, you know, does this work? Does this work for you? Does it work for, and it might not work for others. Um, so as we kind of finish our time here together, I have two final questions for you. The first is uh, throughout this pandemic and pastoring congregations through it, what has been the biggest unexpected joy for you that you didn't see coming? Well, that's a great question. So one of the best joys has been um, to be able to see our congregation members, my congregation members in a new way. is to make sure that folks were checking in with each other regularly and this is a really good reason for the check-in with each other regularly beyond Sunday so I think for me one of the great joys is helping folks to realize that church goes way beyond an hour on Sunday church is prayer every day church is checking in with your church family every day Church is online and at home and in the parking lot. Church is everywhere and all the time. And that's been one of my big visions for the church for a long time. And I'm sad that it took a pandemic for others to understand why I'm so excited about the church getting out of the building. And that in no way means we have no buildings. It just means that God transcends our building. And I feel like this has been a really great opportunity for folks to envision what I've been calling them to, to do communion around a table to have a devotion over the phone, to be a minister in your own world, to support the vocation of everyone, that the person stocking your shelves is probably just as important to your spiritual life as the pastor. And to really understand Luther's sense of vocation around that, that's been a huge joy. Good, and you remember me from seminary, so I always appreciate bringing in Luther to the <laughs> equation there. Um, and I should have asked these in reverse order, so we ended on the higher note, but um, what have you found most challenging uh, as a pastor throughout this time? Yeah, I think the most challenging thing is that stressful times showcase the fears we already have. So if you've got a wobbly foundation, more stress, that foundation wobbling is now more obvious. So at one of my churches, we had a lot of issues recently with budget, with leadership, with connecting with one another and trusting one another in helpful ways. Um, and a lot of struggle with seeing church beyond Sunday morning. This pandemic has made it worse. That congregation was also assigned into care groups. Not all of the leaders are connecting with their people every week. A lot of people refuse to return calls or emails to their care group leader. Um, very few of the folks are communicating with me or the secretary or anyone else to the point where we have to kind of hound them down to make sure they're alive because they just refuse to connect to the church at all. Um, that church 
satisfied because they don't have a giving and so unfortunately, you know, that church is really going over a different direction where they had a stressed foundation. I've been saying it for three years. People kept denying it. And now that we have this huge stressor, the reality is we're not prepared to handle that level of stress. This congregation was one crisis away from collapsing. And unfortunately, this is a crisis not of our own making, right? Where my other church has gone through a myriad of crises for a decade. And when this happened, they rolled up their sleeves and said, we got this, Pastor. Let's do it together. So I think that the real talent of this is whoever you as a pastor really were, whoever your congregation really was, comes through it in stressful times. And it's sometimes embarrassing. <laughs> so. Well, thank you for that. I'm sure that uh, there are many other pastors and lay leaders that echo that sentiment as well. Um, and hopefully it's just a learning curve that as this continues, uh, churches are able to better adapt and uh, focus on what's central to our uh, being together as, as God's called and sent people. Amen. Uh, Let's pray for that. Any, uh, any final words of uh, wisdom or anything I forgot to ask you that you're dying to share? And, um, you know, just a word of encouragement to pastors is be yourself, let your congregation be themselves, and the conversion with other pastors and other congregations is not what God called us to do. Live into the calling of where you are, where your people are right now, and where God is asking you to be with no apologies, right? Don't, I lead two churches that are doing it differently, so I can't live my life in comparison. So I have a different viewpoint than I think a lot of other people do. What works in this building with this group of people might not work a half mile down the road. Set yourself free. Move forward. <laughs> it's okay. That is a, an absolutely fantastic reminder. Uh, let me close our time together with a word of prayer. Gracious God, thank you for Pastor Kelly and for the churches and the communities that she serves. Gracious God, I ask you to look after all of your churches uh, during this time that is unsettling to a lot of people. Help us to be your change in the world. Help those who have a hard time adapting, adapt. Help those who are adapting have compassion for others who aren't. Allow us to use this time to come together and to figure out better ways to serve our neighbor and to serve you. Keep us from falling into the same old fights. And keep us safe until we are able to gather again in person, as many of us are dying to do. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our risen Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Pastor Kelly. I appreciate your time and working through some of our technical issues, and I wish you blessings in your continued ministry uh, serving your congregations. Thank you, Casey.